Hallelujah. Well, today I'm going to share with you a message uh, titled The Invitation. It's actually going to be a series. And this series is based uh, out of a passage from Luke chapter 14. Okay, so if you got your Bibles, you can turn there to Luke chapter 14. Uh, uh, we're going to begin in uh, verse 15. But this is all about an invitation. I heard, a, uh, I heard a, a story about a little country church that decided that they were going to send out invitations for like a family and friends day where they invite all their family and friends and acquaintances to the church. And it was just going to be an awesome day of, you know, of, of, of being together and maybe seeing some new people, uh, one, you know, to Christ and, and people encouraged and uh, there was an elderly woman that walked into this local uh, community church, and a friendly usher greeted her at the door and uh, helped her up a flight of steps. And it says, said, uh, ma'am, where, where would you like to sit today? And she said, oh, I'll sit on the front row. And uh, he, he looked down at her and he says, ma'am, you, you really don't want to do that. The, the pastor's kind of boring. And, uh, and, uh, the woman looks at him and says, do you happen to know who I am? And he says, no. He says, I'm the pastor's mother. <laughs> well, then he looked back at her and says, oh, wow. Do, do you know who I am? And she said, no. He said, good. <laughs> <laughs> Invitations work. You got to handle the invitations just right. Just recently, my wife and I received an elegant wedding invitation from some young people who, who actually used to be a part of our youth ministry now out in Colorado. And you open it up and there was like multiple pages and, uh, you know, pop-ups. You know, you can actually kind of tell where the people are registered by the invitation. You know, if it's just a little plain invitation, they're registered at Walmart. Okay, they want anything. They send you some ornate, you know, uh, invitation. They are not registered at Walmart. Like, I, we'll take the $300 fork. No. I, but invitations are amazing. But they're designed around events. And in the scriptures... There are these invitations. Now today we're going to look, and in the, in the following Sundays, we're going to look at an invitation to an event found in Luke chapter 14. Now this was already happening where we're going to pick up in the scripture. Jesus had been invited to a Pharisee's house. He is sitting at a table having dinner. So he's already accepted an invitation and he begins to tell these stories and this is the second one. He begins to tell this parable after one of those at the table begins to speak. Let's look at it together beginning in verse 15. Now when one of those who sat at the table with him 
heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then Jesus said to him, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many. And he sent his servant servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all, with one accord, began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a piece of ground and I must go. And another said, oh, oh, and I asked that I be excused. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So that the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you have commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask one more time, God, that you today, Lord, would give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. Lord, I'm asking that you would be the loudest voice in this place. And today, I ask God that the words that I speak, Lord, would be your words. Holy Spirit would give you control. I don't want to say anything that you're not saying. And so today, we offer you this time and this word in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this invitation tells us about three distinct people. And you're going to hear about these during this series. And now, the first one is the master. Now, the master is a type of Father God. The master is a type of Father God. We go on to find out that there is also a servant. And the servant is a type of saint, or you might say a son or a daughter. And then there is the invited. And you would classify that as everyone. So there's a type of father God, there's a type of saint or son, and also the invited. But today, what we're going to do is we are going to look at the master. And I, and I, I have to confess to you that I was in a bit of a, a wrestling match um, because I was I was talking to God and I was like, God, you know, I feel like all of these messages that you have been initially giving to me in this early season are all just about declaring who you are. And I'm like, God, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm the guy I, I want to teach about. I want to teach the how to's. I want to empower people to kind of walk in things. And God said, God said to me, there is a reason why I am telling you to declare who I am. And, th- and it was simply this. This is how he said it to me. He says, before the church will give me her hand, she must know my heart. Before you will ever put your hand to what God is calling you to do, you have to be married to the heart of God. You gotta know his heart. Otherwise, you'll only last as long as your willpower will take you. 
And if you're wondering how long that is, look at your husband or wife or family member around you and say, how long does my willpower last? Look back at them and say, not long. Doesn't last long at all. So we need to be, we need to understand who God is in his heart. And so today, we're going to talk about the master. Now, the master in this story was three things. The master was prepared, the master was passionate, and the master was persistent. Let's talk about the first one. The master is prepared. And we see this in verse 16. It says, then he said to him, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many and sent his servant at supper, supper time to say to those who were invited, come for all things are now ready. He has prepared in advance this feast and every detail has been thought of and supplied for. Think of this scene. This great supper. By the way, with this word supper in the Greek means the most significant meal of the day. That means there was a lot. It wasn't meaning that it was the most important because it wasn't the first, but it was the most significant. It was the greatest meal of the day. Everything is taken care of. Everything has been purchased. Everything has been, every animal slaughtered and prepared. Everything cooked. Everything in place. Everything that was needed for this feast. Totally provided for. The master is prepared. And it reminds me of this scripture. Because our God is totally prepared and has totally prepared a feast for all of us. You see, the feast represents all that God has for all of us. It represents all of it. And it's totally prepared. But it reminds me of this scripture that Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. You talk about being prepared. Before God ever created Adam, he had redemption in his heart. This idea that if he were to make man, he would buy back man. That he would come after man. You see, the feast represents all that God has done for us. This master in this story was thoroughly prepared, and he says, all things are now ready. Jesus said something almost exactly the same, only abundantly more clear in Luke chapter 4. He says in verse 17, and it, it, he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, 
The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, come, for all things are now ready. This was Father God saying, I am totally prepared. Prepared for what? It was in his declaration. He said, I have been anointed to preach the gospel to the poor. That is not talking about economics. That is talking about those who were spiritually deficient. Why? Because they did not have a relationship with God. He said, I've come to bring good news. I am prepared. And those who are in sin and are far off from God, now you can come close. I'm prepared to restore. He says this, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. He says, I'm prepared for the broken. You may have come in here today with brokenheartedness that situations have come against you and you find yourself in this place where circumstances, whether they were your fault or they weren't your fault, have have messed with your emotions. Good news, God is prepared. The master is prepared for your brokenness. He's anointed. To bring healing. He says, I'm anointed to proclaim liberty to captives. If you came here and you have felt like for years you have been in a personal prison, guess what? The one who holds the keys to death and hell has now come and he is fully prepared to see you released. The master is prepared. There is not a prison that can hold you. When the one upon whom the keys of the house of David rest upon his shoulders and whatever door he says open, no man can shut. And whatever door he says close, no man can open. The master is prepared. He's come to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. If you came in here with a broken body today, I have good news for you. Healing is for today and God is prepared. God is prepared. He said, I have come to proclaim recovery of sight to the blind. He's prepared. This is why we are so committed after every single service To stand people up here in the front and say, if you need prayer for any reason, come. Why? Because any reason has been prepared for. And these people who stand in the altar are ambassadors of heaven. They stand with the backing of Father God, with the anointing of the Son, Jesus Christ. And whatever they pray for in Jesus' name, according to the scriptures, that is in the will of God, they will have it. Listen, your sickness didn't surprise God. You know what surprises God? That we don't respond to the invitation. 
See, James 5 says, if there's any sick among you, let them go to the elders of the church. They'll anoint them with oil, and the prayer of faith will raise them up. You know, the surprising part is that we don't go for prayer when we have a need. God's not surprised by our need. Matter of fact, you may be here today, and you say, well, you know, my need isn't physical, but man, the sin I got going on in my life is an issue. Do you think God is surprised by your sin? He's like, oh, man, didn't see that one coming. No, he is fully prepared. And you know what he says? Come, the feast is ready. The feast is ready. He says, I've come to set at liberty all who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He says, it's now. Why would God do this? Why would God do this? God has prepared an extravagant feast because he delights in us. Listen, I want you to let that sink in for a moment. God has prepared an extravagant feast of his goodness for all of us because he delights in us. Most people in the church see God as mostly mad sometimes glad but rarely do we ever personally see God delighting in us oh son oh daughter he's delighting in you let that stronghold be broken off of your mind let that picture be shattered that actually is not God God delights in you Psalm 36 Verse 7 says, how priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life, and in your light we see light. Do you see the feast and do you see delight? They feast on the abundance of your house and they drink from the river of your delights. God delights in you. Psalm 147 verse 10 says this, his pleasure is not in the strength of the horse nor his delight in the legs of the warrior. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. If you are a son or daughter of God, God's delighting in you. God's delighting in you. Most of us, if we find ourselves in in a moment of, of backslidden behavior or twisted thinking, our first impulse is to run away from the Father because He's so perfect and so pure and all of those things we imagine. And yet the Father is saying, no, 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 I delight in you. Come to me, repent, and I'll restore you. I delight in you. The Master is prepared. The master is also passionate. Verse 21 says this. So the servant came and reported those things to the master. What things? That everybody had other things going on. Now, I I know that probably when we initially read this, you, you might have thought, oh, we know where he's going. Actually, we're totally skipping that. We're totally skipping over that because today we're focusing on the master. But we'll talk a little bit about about these common things. 
in later weeks. But today we're looking at the master. It says, so that the servant came and reported these things to the master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. I want, I want to call your attention to two things. Number one, that statement, being angry. The word in Greek actually means to be provoked. It means to be provoked. That means move to action. Like he's angry, but it moves him. I don't know. Uh, now, now, our anger, we have a statement to describe our kind of anger. It says they are stewing in their anger. You know what it means to stew? You're just sitting there boiling. Unrighteous anger paralyzes. It stops you from moving forward. Righteous anger will move you into action and bring you into a greater purpose in God's kingdom. He being angry, he is upset, aroused to anger. Has somebody ever rejected something you made or you paid for them to eat? Ooh. This happens. I can I I have five children. I can't go through one drive-through. <laughs> they all have the same DNA. But their palate is so different. Oh, just yesterday I experienced this. I was just trying to get my youngest after this serve day to just go and let's have something inexpensive. No, my youngest then decides, I said, well, what about this place? No. 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 And then he says this, Dad, I want macaroni and cheese from Panera. Okay, there's just something in my value system that says macaroni and cheese should not be $5. $5 of macaroni and cheese from Walmart's like a five-gallon bucket. Okay, it's a little tiny bowl at Panera, and it's cute, but it's $5. But we ended up at Panera, you know. <laughs> And, and, you know, he was, he, because I delight in him. <laughs> uh, I didn't say that in first service, so that was free. Um, um, but there have been those times where, where we've prepared something and they just go, well, I'm, I'm not going to eat that. I'm like, well, you're just not going to eat. <laughs> and some of them are okay. Asher is like really good with that. He's like, okay, I'll fast, whatever. <laughs> Like, dude, you're a radical, man. You're going to change the world. Um, I remember this time, though, you know, when you go on a mission trip, you, you, you're, we, we teach our young people and, and our teams that you should exhibit cultural sensitivity. And that means that when you're going to places, oftentimes they're not nearly as affluent as America is. And so when somebody prepares something for the team, 
You just eat what's put before you. Well, back in 2006, I went to visit Pastor Carl and his wife when they were uh, missionaries in uh, Swaziland, Africa. And we went out to this little... uh, this little village outside of the city where they normally ministered in. And we were going to meet the chief and some very influential people from that village. And um, I'll never forget it. When we got there, uh, they had prepared us. Like for them, this was an extravagant meal. They had slaughtered chickens, which is, which is a big deal. Because a chicken just isn't something you eat. It's something that feeds you through the eggs. In Africa, that's a big deal. It's a business. And so they had slaughtered chickens for us and made this delightful chicken and gravy dish, which was awesome. But the appetizer, they had been waiting to serve this very special dish of goat liver. I don't know how it was prepared. But all the leaders, we got a special little lobe of the liver. (laughs) And and so we're all gathered around there. They're all looking at us, you know. And I'll never forget when I bit that liver, it snapped. It's like, I remember pulled the liver down and Carl was over to my right. I'm just chewing and we're talking and interpreter and I had this liver in my hand, and I look at Carl, I'm like, you got to eat this for me, I can't do it. <laughs> and then I looked over, and, and two other people had already passed Carl his liver. <laughs> it's like a four pieces of liver, he's like, <laughs> we were really trying hard to be grateful, and uh, you know, uh, it, was, it was really awesome, but... Um, <laughs> You know, the reason why we're sensitive to those people is because that costs a lot. That feast costs a lot. And the reason why the father in this story is provoked to anger is because of the cost and quality of the feast. It's the cost and the quality of the feast. And you guys, this is this verse that I'm about to quote to you. I'm not quoting it to you because it's the most quoted verse on the planet. It's because it declares the cost of the feast that the master sets for us. It's John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Very important word, his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Listen, this is the truth. The father bankrupted heaven to give humanity the feast of forgiveness. He bankrupted heaven. He gave heaven's most cherished and best and only gift. This is why the master is passionate. It wasn't only the cost, but it was the quality because there was something more to this feast that was being laid out. 
We hear about it in Luke chapter 12, verse 31. It says, this is the account of the Sermon on the Mount. And from Dr. Luke's perspective, it says, But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Listen, do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old. A treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. The quality of this feast is his kingdom. Listen, the Father today is wanting to give you the kingdom. Not only that, not only that, it is his good pleasure to give it to you. He loves to give the kingdom away. He wants to bless you with the kingdom. You see, the kingdom, is that just, just being saved? No, 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 no. It is partnering with the Father in the place that God has planted you and seeing his reign and his forgiveness and his rule expand all around you. He wants to give you the kingdom. You say, what's the kingdom? Heal the sick, raise the dead. Freely you've received, freely give. That's the kingdom. That's the kingdom. It's, it's, it's the disciples, the 72 that were sent away, came back rejoicing. They said, even demons are subject to us in your name. He says, oh, don't rejoice in that. Rejoice because your name is written down in high. That's the kingdom. It's his good pleasure to give us the kingdom. Why is the master so passionate? Here's why. The rejection of the invitation isn't the rejection of the feast. It's a rejection of the master. It's not a rejection of all the things that God has supplied for us and all that he does for us and has done for us. It's a rejection of the master himself. Because the most interesting thing at the feast isn't the food, it's the master. I am convinced that when we all get to heaven, we will be enamored with gold streets about half a second. A gate fashioned from one solid pearl, that's interesting. Those names on the foundation of heaven, pretty cool. Moving on, the most attractive thing in all of heaven is God himself. And all of heaven is aimed at the worship of the one who is worthy of it all. That's why in his presence, elders take crowns that were rewards and they cast them at his feet because it's the master and a rejection of the invitation is a rejection of the master. That's why the master is passionate. Not only is the master prepared and passionate, but he is persistent. I love this. Verse 22 says, in the, And the servant said, Master, it is done as you have commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. Listen to me. For the master, an unfilled house is not an option. For the master, an unfilled house is not an option. Let me say it to you another way. 
An empty seat beside you on Sunday is not an option. It's been an option for far too long. And those who God would have already delivered, if we had only invited, maybe now are waiting for the invitation. You see, an unfilled house is not an option for the master. In this story, story, listen, he goes farther and farther to find those who will come. God will not be stopped in his pursuit of restored relationship with humanity. Listen to that today. God will not be stopped in his pursuit of restored relationship with humanity. Listen, if you're here today and you feel away from God, there's good news. I'm glad you got here, however you got here. But you need to know this. God is coming after you. He is persistently pursuing you. You say, well, I'm doing well with God. Guess what? He's pursuing you. I'm not doing so well with God. He's pursuing you. He's persistently going farther and farther and farther to see restored relationship. It is both individual and corporate, and I believe it can be regional. Because God didn't only address the person, he addressed cities. He said, oh, Jerusalem, that you would have known the hour of your visitation. Listen, today, God will not be stopped in his pursuit of restored relationship with humanity. It is actually the only thing we find in Scripture that God seeks. We find it in John chapter 4, the woman at the well story. He makes the statement. He says, those who worship God, worship him in spirit and truth. And those are the worship the Father seeks. It's worshipers that the Father is seeking. He is passionately pursuing you and I today. And he won't be stopped. In this story, we find that first, there is an invitation that goes out to those who are nearby. Now, these would be the people who were regularly going to synagogue. These would be the, the scribes, the Pharisees, those who were, who were intimately connected and knew the promises. Many of these Pharisees, by the way, had one-third of the Bible memorized. They had, they had many of them, the entire Genesis through Deuteronomy, memorized. And it was to this crowd... That he begins to say, hey, come, come. And it's because they treated the master as common. Because they called it too familiar. They treated him as common. So common things could get in the way. But the master is anything but common. He's anything but common. He's amazing. So he invited them and they were nearby and then he gives this instruction. He says, go into the streets and lanes of the city. The streets would be the wider areas that most everybody went. The lanes are more like alleys actually. That would be the place where you would find the maimed, the lame. You would find people who were the outcasts of society. I want you to notice something. He's mentioned this in this story, but if you read all of this passage from Luke, this is actually the second time he's mentioned it. He's 
sitting in a Pharisee's house and he mentions it twice because a Pharisee would never invite that kind of person to their house. And yet we find the master being persistent in his pursuit. He says, go, go out into the streets and go and find those people who are nearby and go and bring those who cannot be brought themselves and you bring them into the house. Go, 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 go. And he goes out and the servant comes back and he says this, there is still room. And the, fa- the father says these amazing words that, that we oftentimes maybe quote, go into the highways and the hedges. The highways were actually footpaths through the fields. And the hedges aren't like a hedge around your house. It's actually a small fence. It's a border. And some scholars believe that, that the, the outcast of the outcast would actually try to make a home under that small fence. They would lay there in the field in hopes that maybe during the harvest season there would be an edge that would be left that they could be supplied from. It is this idea, though. God came to the Jew first and then persistently went after all humanity so that we could come into relationship with God. Here, I'll prove it to you. Romans chapter one, verse 16 says this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Now, if you're not Jewish here, That means that the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ first went to the Jews. It first went out to them. The apostles, they were all Jews. They weren't Gentiles. They were Jews. And so this gospel goes to them first. And this invitation goes to them first. But when they reject the invitation, the Father goes further. And further still until he reaches the Gentiles. That's us who are outside the covenants and outside the promises. He comes after us. He is persistent. Listen to the position of the father as he's being persistent, coming after our hearts. Romans chapter 10 verse 20 says, but Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. Could anybody say, that's my life verse? I was found by those who did not see. I found, I, God found me when I wasn't looking for him. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. That is so good. But to Israel, he says, all day long I have stretched out my hands to, to a disobedient and contrary pe- people. Here's what this scripture is saying. The Father has this, pos- this persistent position before humanity. It doesn't change because you're contrary. It doesn't change because you're disobedient or disinterested. This is the position of the master today. Arms wide open. You say, well, I really messed up last week and I picture God like this. You got a bad picture, break it up. He's like this, arms open. Arms stretched wide. What's it say? 
all day long to a contrary and disobedient people. He's persistent in his pursuit of restoring relationship with you. Arms open, arms open. Does that mean that he leaves you the way you come to him? Oh, God's heart, when you get close to it, it has a way of getting in you. It does. We repent. We begin to know his heart. We're like, oh, I've been so far from that. God, I want to know you. All day long, I've stretched out my hands to a disobedient contrary people. Acts 2 says this, in the last days, I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Do you hear the persistence of the master? He says, I will. My spirit's going to come on all flesh. What's that mean to us? Father God is after the hearts of every single person in Citrus County. I'll say it on this side, see if I get some believers. Father God is after the hearts of every single person in Citrus County. There is not one that is left out. Listen, he's after the hearts that are in prison. He is after the heart of your annoying neighbor. If you could ever get that heart, you might be able to reach your annoying neighbor. High five. Good preaching. I mean, after all, you were so annoyed with your wife or husband, you were probably arguing on the way to church. And God's after their heart and yours. Father is persistent in his pursuit. And he's after the hearts of every single person in Citrus County. And I believe God is setting a table for a feast right here at Calvary. I believe he's setting a table here. You say, what's that look like? It looks like every single week somebody is brought and somebody is saved. Somebody is healed. Somebody gets filled with the Holy Spirit. Somebody comes broken and they leave whole. Somebody comes demonized and they leave free. It's a feast. And hear the voice of the servant. There's still room. There's still room. imparting his heart to us to show us the possibilities of not only what it looks like to live a personally transformed life and to have a family that's transformed, those things are beautiful, but to have a church that's transformed and a community that's transformed where the Father says, oh, I'm so glad to give you the kingdom. The master is beautiful. Here's what I believe. We have a feast to receive and an invitation to carry. I want you to bow your heads today.